0: I was humbled when Pastor John asked if I would be willing to come preach for him this Sunday because of the busy season that he and his family have found themselves in. When I was asked to fill in for my brother, I pondered what the Lord may have for us to see through his precious and sufficient word. And as I prayed about it and thought about it, I decided to address the very simple, light hearted topic of the fact that I was going to seek to inform every single one of you on how you ought to live. Now the reason I thought this would be um, useful, a useful topic. To address is because, one, if you do not like what I say this morning, I get to leave town. But the second and the real reason to deal with this issue is because we as believers, especially as we look forward to a new year in light of the realities that many of us have faced in the previous years, are going to need to be prepared with an overarching plan as for how to live in an increasingly more hostile culture. The reason for this and the reality is that we as God's people are going to need to take to heart the fact that unless the Lord, in an absolutely unmerited act of favor, bestows a massive revival and turning back to Him that is rooted in repentance and faith in Him alone as Savior, Lord, and Treasure, and King of all things. We will continue to be a people in exile. Maybe not actual or physical captivity taken away from our homeland, but absolutely a people that are properly brought to remember again and again that this is not our ultimate home. And this is the setting for the text we will will be focused on this morning. As I mentioned, it is Jeremiah 29, and if you were like most people, if you've grown up in the Christian world at all, when you hear 29 of of Jeremiah, you immediately think 11. That's true. That is a text. That is the verse that most think about when they hear this text. Again, we could even just read it. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. However, while this one chapter is usually the only, or excuse me, this one verse in this chapter is usually the only text most people think of, this passage has a much broader instruction to us as the people of God in the throes of what feels like exile. To see the context, let's begin in verses 1 through 4 of Jeremiah chapter 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the serving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother and the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem and the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elassah, the son of Shaphan and Jeremiah and the son of Helkiah the son of Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Did you catch the language? Jeremiah makes plain that he is about to tell us the words of the letter God inspired him to write to the surviving elders, prophets, and people taken into exile by Babylon and their king, Nebuchadnezzar. These are the very people living through the source of great lamenting that is the basis of lamentations and what it is all about. Could you imagine receiving this letter? Think of the longing within the hearts of this people who don't feel at home any longer because they have literally been removed from their nation. And beloved, I ask, do we not feel this? I'm 39 years old. And the world I grew up in looks in some ways nothing like what I fear my children will have to navigate. The deterioration of the truth and understanding of facts has appeared to come completely detached from reality. Think about it. The same people who lectured us on a wide variety of, quote, scientific concepts for a good number of years, are the same people who tell us that a baby in the womb is merely a clump of cells. And they would also assert that they would not be able to tell you if the baby was not murdered in the womb and allowed to make it to birth, whether that baby was a boy or a girl. You see, this country has devolved from any recognition of its understanding regarding the Lord Jesus and His law. We are living within the dichotomy of the only options there are. As Doug Wilson rightly says, it will either be Christ or chaos. Either we will submit to Christ and His rule in all areas of life, or we will experience at some point the only outcome that rejecting his lordship produces utter and absolute chaos. Beloved, this is why we are seeing what we are in our day. Christ, in Romans 1 fashion, has given our world, our culture, our nation, and our society over to the chaos our rebellious hearts desired. But what are we, as those in Christ, who long for and in deep affection of the Christ and his all he is meant to do? We who have a deep longing and we reject all the gods of this age, and we, by His grace, confess at the core, the pinnacle of most of all confessions of what it means to be a Christian, that Jesus is Lord. What are we left to do? How are we to live? What are these exiles to do? What are the strangers in this foreign land meant to seek. I so appreciate the way that Dr. Vodi Bacham and John Harris navigated this in a Conversations That Matter podcast I listened to many years ago where Harris asked this question that many of you may be wrestling through. Listen to what he asked, Vodi. He said, you believe God has a purpose in all of this. That's one of the hard things. I got a question about it from someone who wanted to ask you, what is God's purpose? Why is He allowing the destruction of my country, of my church, of everything that I know around me? It just seems like it's being destroyed by the pagan philosophies of the world. What's God thinking? What is God doing? And before I read you, very insightful response, my question is, Are there some of you wrestling with those same questions? Maybe you have been left to properly lament the loss of much of what once seemed stable. Especially the idea that our nation founded on rich biblical truth has become inseparable from the pagan and idolatrous pursuits of the world. Well, listen to the Very important truth, Pastor Vodi speaks to this question. He replies with these wise words, Well, God is being God. The center of gravity of Christianity has moved many times. You talk about Jerusalem being the center of the Christian universe initially. Then it shifted to places like Athens, then continental Europe, and then Great Britain, and then the United States. In every one of those instances, those shifts, there were things that were lamentable. It's sad when you see these great Christian entities and societies, these great Christian movements sort of fall off the scene. But every time there is a next thing. Because this is not the ultimate kingdom. The kingdom of God is undefeated one of the problems we have as americans is that we far we for most of the excuse me we for the most part have not lived the same christian experience that the overwhelming majority of christians have lived the overwhelming majority of christians in history have been the minority the overwhelming majority of christians in history have not had the ability that we have had and so in the United States, we are used to being the 800-pound gorilla. We are used to being able to virtually to do virtually anything we want. We have sort of assumed that that's the way it's supposed to be. But America is not the kingdom of God. America is not the new Jerusalem. We are not the new Jerusalem. Ultimately, we are living in Egypt or Babylon. In essence, beloved, what Pastor Vody is saying is that we are coming to realize that we are truly going to be a people who feel as if we are strangers in a foreign land. And if we are the exiles who are far from home, and because of that, I believe this passage has some overlap for us this morning. When God through jeremiah gave instructions to the people of god in literal exile what he tells them to be he tells them what does he tell them to be about what were they to be busy doing were they just to in loser mentality roll over in fatalistic despair with their heads thrown down and their hands thrown up No, there was specific instructions to these exiles that I believe we too should take to heart. To see it all together, before we break each one of them down, look at verses 4 through 7 of Jeremiah chapter 29. Again, the beginning of this letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Notice first that in times of exile, before one is to look outward to the affairs of the nation or the land of exile, God's people are to look To the home. In verses 5 and 6, God tells these exiles to start by literally building houses and living in them. He didn't tell them to start with changing the minds of their pagan captors. No, he tells them to focus on the welfare of their families first. The strategy for impacting the pagan and godless Culture starts very locally with the community of God's people in a domestic capacity. Let me tell you what this means and what this does not mean. This does not mean I have to literally build my home with my own hands, to which my wife and children would thankfully shout a hearty amen. I would be known as what I often call an anti handyman. Nor does this text mean that we can only eat food we grow. Most of you do not know my history of killing plants, even fake ones. That's a whole nother story for another time. But even with that reality, I would greatly encourage you to think about food reserves. Do I know what's coming down the road? Absolutely not. But would some form of food shortage shock anyone after the last number of years we have had? I do not think so. You see, this strategy in exile includes the regular instruction of singles getting married and the married pursuing having children. However, hear me very clearly We know that God is not primarily telling these exiles to try to outnumber their pagan neighbors. We know the goal was not a full house, but instead a house focused on hearts full of hope in God. Listen to what parents are to be doing if the Lord has seen fit to bless them with children. Look at the famous passage of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, specifically, verses 1 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Again, a famous passage, but listen, verses 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you were going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house, and on your gates. So again, the goal is not just to have the sons and daughters, but teach them every moment you have. Talk about the Word of, of the Word of the Lord, when you sit, when you walk, when it's bedtime, in the morning, let it be that the Word of God is like a stamp on your forehead and a tattoo on your hand in all the work you do. Let the Word be the pillar and doorposts of your home, but not just to fill the members of your house, with head knowledge why are we to teach these things again a heart full of hope look at the passage that is actually the grounds for what we at springs of life bible church call our next generations ministry sounds to be seems to be maybe much like the the goal of what the ministry i just heard y'all are starting back this wednesday look at psalm 78 with me psalm 78 Specifically, verses 1 through 7, but we'll start in verses 1 through 6. Psalm 78, starting in verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Children, notice that here we see the call for fathers in particular to teach the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Also, the people of God long to come alongside this important work and help parents in this task. As verse 4 says, it says, We will not hide them, which is the truths of God, from their children, but tell to the coming generation. Again, the body of believers is a supplement to the discipleship, a home, not a replacement for it. But what's the goal of this multi-generational, verse 6, pursuit? To connect the text in Jeremiah 29, is it just to fill heads with facts and homes with people? No. It's with per- a particular goal in mind. Look at verse 7. He said all of this. I'm not gonna, We're not going to hide these truths from their children. Fathers should be teaching this. We remember these things our fathers told us. We want to proclaim these things. Verse 7. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Beloved, this is what we must be about as exiles in a hostile land. Teaching ourselves and the coming generation where true and lasting hope is found. God and his gospel alone. The world and the false priests of this pagan land will try to point us to any number of false hopes to fill our hearts with. But we must be a people whose hearts' hope is steadfastly fixed on our God. So back in Jeremiah 29, verses 4-6, through 6, We must start with the strategy to focus on the hearts in our home before we pay attention to the actions of officials within our city. However, we do care about the welfare of our city no matter how much like exiles we may be. Look at verse 7 again of Jeremiah Twenty nine. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, this thought to seek the welfare of the city has sadly been misunderstood with dire consequences. There have been far too many church plants. In far too many large cities that begin with the goal of impacting and influencing, quote, the city with the gospel through the interactions of the church. But instead, what has happened in too many instances is that the city has impacted and influenced the church to the detriment of the gospel. Take one instance that I saw and remember back in 2021, from a prominent pastor at the time who sought to be, quote, for the city. And if you've heard that phrase, you may know who I'm speaking of, Pastor Tim Keller. Now, I do not wish or mean to speak ill of the deceased, but I had major issues with him for a number of years before his death. But as some of you may or may not remember, in 2021, Harvard University, which seems to enjoy scandals, maybe Ed Linton got his degree from there, sorry, okay, Um, which began in 1636 to be the training ground for Puritan clergymen in the New Commonwealth. You may not know it, but Harvard's original motto was truth for Christ and the church. Well, this same Harvard, back in August of 2021, introduced a new, not just chaplain, head of all the chaplains at Harvard, a man named Greg Epstein. But why was this news? Because Greg Epstein was and is, again, the newly installed head chaplain at Harvard, is an open, secular, humanist, and atheist. But if that wasn't enough, what did Pastor Tim Keller tweet about this event at the time? And I quote, Congratulations, Greg Epstein, on your appointment. Then in explanation, he said this, Greg is a friend whom I have debated, and while I don't agree with him on many things, I do wish him well. Wish him well? No. I hope then, and I still hope now, now that he utterly fails miserably. I do not want a God-denying idolater tasked with leading chaplains to do anything well except write his resignation letter swiftly. You see, that is the example of the city and its pagan worldview penetrating the church, not the other way around. So how do we obey Jeremiah 29, 7 and seek the, quote, welfare of the city where the Lord has sent us? Well, look at what the prophet says. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Specifically, for its welfare. In our state of feeling like exiles, beloved, we must pray for those lost around us for their welfare. But again, the question is, what is the welfare? Well, the Hebrew word here rendered welfare is pronounced, a famous word we may know, shalom. Of its 236 uses, 175 of them are rendered peace. That's actually how a good number of other English translations convey the shalom in this text. So God is saying to this exiled people to not only focus on their immediate home and believing community, but to pray for the peace, the welfare Of those currently causing all the troubles for them as exiles. What ought we to pray and seek for this lost people, leaders, and nation? Again, the text is very clear. We're to pray for shalom or for peace. And by this, we do not mean earthly, temporal tranquility. We know whatever this prayer for peace and welfare is, it cannot be sought void of true peace with God. Remember, this was the problem with the false teachers during Jeremiah's day in Judah. In Jeremiah 6.14, it tells us that they, those false prophets, cried, Peace! Peace! when there was no peace. Literally, shalom, shalom, when there is no shalom. So how do we seek the peace and welfare of our city of exile, whether it be Goldsboro or Durham? We pray towards and preach the only message of true and lasting peace there is. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace, shalom, welfare with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. But what about Christ brings peace? Just thinking that He's a good man with wise things to say to help us along the way, that our society ought to give a generous nod to? No. Only in the blood of Christ, as substitutionarily sacrificed, is peace ever found. Colossians chapter 1 Verse 19 and 20 points to this very thing. Look at Colossians chapter 1 with me. Starting in verse 19. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 19. Going to verse 20. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Is that not what we celebrated just a few weeks ago? In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, catch this, making peace. But how? By the blood of His cross. Did you catch the language? Peace or welfare only comes through the blood of the cross. But beloved, also notice, this blood was spilt not only by the one who is the Lamb, but also the one who, is for, who has forever been, is now, and will forever be the Lord. Look at the verses that precede the truths we just read. Look back at Paul's description of the one who shed his blood and hung upon that cross. Look at Colossians one verse fifteen through eighteen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Don't get hung up on that word firstborn. that is a word not meaning pointing to order of birth or some type of creative reality. That is a title of authority. The last son David, is called the firstborn because he's king. okay, Firstborn points to the preeminence. Of the authority of the one we're speaking of. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Beloved, just as there is no peace apart from His cross, There is no welfare or peace for any city that rejects His crown. Therefore, as exiles in a hostile land, we focus on the strength and discipleship of our homes and the community of faith, and we pray for and preach the peace and welfare that only comes through the gospel of Christ. In his epistle to the Galatians, Paul pulls no punches with any who distort this gospel of peace. Look at Galatians chapter 3 with me. Galatians, excuse me, Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3. I love this preamble. Listen to where he goes, starting in verse 3 to verse 5. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you, and catch this, peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice again the source of peace is our Deliverer, Jesus Christ, and His Gospel. And look at how Paul speaks to those seeking to distort said Gospel and only hope and place of peace. Look at verse 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different Gospel. Not that there is another one. That phrase, let him be accursed, actually comes from a Greek word that literally could also be translated, God damn them. Paul is not taking this lightly. He's literally saying, if someone comes to you, us or angel, and they preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the true gospel, there's only one thing they deserve, damnation. And that's what Paul is saying here. And this is why he says what he does in verse 10. Or am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant, a doulos, a slave of Christ. Beloved of Crossway, don't you see that as exiles in our own nation, we must focus on strengthening our marriages. Training whatever children our Lord sees fit to give us. Encouraging our local body of believers as well as praying for and pursuing the welfare, the peace of our pagan city. How? Declare the only message there is. Our sacrificial lamb with his cross and our glorious Lord with His crown. Any other pursuit of peace void of this is a mirage and an illusion. Maybe you have felt the weight of exile in recent years. Can I plead with you to not allow your peace to be tethered to the here and now? but instead be anchored in the gospel of our Lord and Lamb, Jesus Christ. If you have peace with God through His blood, war with any despair that focuses on the wrong kingdom. For those within the sound of my voice, I simply ask, are you at peace with God? Have you been delivered by the blood of His cross and delight in the authority of His crown. If you are still banking on some facade of your own righteousness and still clinging to the emptiness of your rebellion, I plead with you to repent and turn to Christ. I'm not saying it will be easy and that the days of the world celebrating something like this may be long gone. But I can promise you this, that those here this morning, part of this body, and even our body back in Durham, would celebrate with a new citizen of the true kingdom to come. And to those who are in Christ, can I leave you with this plea? No matter what this temporal world and culture does to seek to damage your temporal peace, please, beloved, remember we have a peace secured by the one who is always on his throne. Let this be the hope we long for the hearts of those in the halls of our homes and the halls of our nation's capital to be filled with. All to the praise of our Lord's glory and the greatest good of his people. Whether we feel like we are at home or whether we feel like we are exiles, praise God, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, his blood, and righteous. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that even as those who at times genuinely feel the weight of being those in exile. Thank you, Lord, not only have you not left us without instruction, but you have not left us. You, have, you will never leave us nor forsake us. Father, we thank you that in Christ, everything necessary for our salvation has been accomplished. And so, Lord, whether it be these dear brothers and sisters in this dear sister church of Crossway, or the precious flock whom I get to stand before week in and week out, the precious body of Springs of Life Bible Church, Lord, wherever you have placed us, Father, would you remind us again and again that you as our king and you as our lamb is our source of hope, peace, and endurance. And therefore, even as those who feel like exiles at time, thank you, Lord, that our hope is anchored in the person and work of Christ. And Lord, as those who are anchored in the person and work of Christ, let us, as your word tell, tells us, to be ready when anyone asks for us to give a defense for the hope that is in us. Lord, I pray that we truly would, because of the light of Christ, who shine into our dark hearts, who said, let there be light, much like he declared it at creation. Let us also walk out of these doors, living as light to a dark world and salt to a dying culture. And let us do so for the praise of the one due all our worship, Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. (music) Thank <music> you.